This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking with Dr. Barbara Mark, a woman whom I greatly admire. Dr. Barbara Mark has a deeply held passion for working with women in midlife and has built a decades-long career as an elite leadership, career, and life strategies coach and advisor to senior executive women. She is a recognized expert on the psychology of women and is the leading authority on the midlife stages of adult development and how these stages impact a woman's career development and life choices. As a result, Barbara is a sought after coach of women who are looking to make appropriate and actionable personal and professional decisions at critical stages in their lives and careers. Barbara has been brought into the confidence of hundreds of professional women seeking to maintain inner balance while facing diverse external demands, personal ambition, and the desire to feel satisfied and fulfilled personally and professionally. She has worked with women across all industries, from small business to Fortune 100 companies, as well as nonprofits, and has supported their success in the constantly changing landscape for professional women. So welcome, Barbara. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so glad you're here. So that's a fascinating biography you have. Why have you chosen to work with women in midlife? Well, interestingly, I I was uh, really intrigued by the topic of of midlife development when I was in my 20s. And it's something that I read about. And then I studied academically uh, during my master's and doctoral work. I studied developmental psychology as part of my clinical psychology program. And I just I fell in love with understanding the stages of of adult development in that midlife period. And and for professional women, that midlife period is is some of the most dynamic time in a professional woman's life. There's so much happens in a woman's life during midlife. 
And so it's it's something that intrigues me and I'm passionate about. And uh, I love the opportunity to support women during that time in their lives and their professional careers. You also have um, um, at times addressed the importance of understanding menopause and the impact on women in the workplace. That's fascinating. Can you tell us about that? Oh, gosh, yes. Every woman goes through menopause. Every woman. Some women choose to have children. Some women choose not to have children. Every woman goes through menopause. And so every professional woman is going to be at the effect of how she experiences menopause. And some women experience it early because of a medical treatment, because of uh, some genetic predisposition. But most women are going to go through menopause in their 40s and 50s, sometimes starting uh, the transition in their late 30s. And so by the time a woman is in her mid 40s to early 50s, she's getting into the most uh, the highest levels of leadership in her career, she's been moved into uh, high leadership positions. And this is the time when all of a sudden she's at the effect of potentially really difficult symptoms of menopause. And uh, so not just hot flashes, which can show up as a performance issue, but lack of confidence because of anxiety, because of forgetfulness, the fear that dementia is setting in because one can't think clearly and one's short-term memory seems to have disappeared out of sight. And, and so uh, early on, when I was talking with women in this age group, I found that many women didn't understand even what perimenopause was, that this there was this period of time that led up to menopause, which is you know 12 months after you have not had a period. And, and this can last for, for many years. And they don't even understand what the potential symptoms could be. And, and I really feel that women need to be informed about it to understand what to anticipate and how to address these symptoms most effectively in terms of their professional environment. And also I think workplaces need to be aware of it, because again, this is impacting women at the at the prime time of their careers. That is fascinating. You know, when I think about it, I don't think until fairly recently, and I, by that I mean maybe 10, 20 years, but I mean fairly recently, I don't think I'd ever heard the word perimenopausal. Yes. Why do we know so little about it? I mean, it's something... All women go through, as you say. Why do we know so little? Why, why do we know so little about it? Is it because it we're women? I mean, would we know more about it if we were men? Well, men certainly know about things that impact them. But women's issues are, especially as women get older, uh, are not important to society. Women are invisible and we're invited to be invisible even to ourselves by not preparing us for the kinds of changes that our bodies will go through. Once women get beyond their reproductive years, women are considered to be, well, not necessary, if you will, or not as valuable to culture because they're no longer reproductive. And of course, as women age, 
uh, in our culture. We are marginalized for the most part. And so the idea of this, what should be a significant rite of passage for women has never really been put front and center in terms of women's health. Um, MDs get one hour of training in menopause in their medical careers. OBGYNs get two hours, two hours OBGYNs get about menopause. And so, you know, of course, women out there in the world aren't being taught about menopause. And uh, when I started going through perimenopause, I was 38. I had every symptom under the sun. I think the universe was preparing me to do the work that I do to support women. Um, but I was patted on the head by my doctor and told I was too young to be having anything to do with menopause um, and shrugged. And I said, really, that's all you've got for me? And uh, so I sought other, other support from naturopathic physicians. But it's it's finally becoming apparent that women are curious about menopause, that women want to learn about it, that women want to be prepared for it. And uh, the UK is very far ahead of us in this regard. They're, they're doing trainings in companies all the time now. The uh, British government uh, parliament is focusing on uh, the impact of menopause in the workplace. In the United States, it's only within the past two years that we've begun to see any real discussion about it. And I think that will move forward as a younger generation of women are going to put up with uh, not having information about it, not being able to look at menopause as a significant turning point in a woman's life. What are some, I never heard of, of companies doing anything yet. What, what are some things that companies are doing? There's this wonderful consultancy in the UK, which I stumbled upon when I was doing research about um, midlife professional women and how menopause impacts professional women about six years ago. And, and I immediately got on Skype at that time and, and inquired, how are you doing this? They had their first annual menopause at the workplace conference at that time. And I thought, holy moly, really? This is so exciting. And for the next five or six years, you know, now that they're actually offering a certification that companies can get as a, as a menopause friendly work environment. And so this consultancy goes into companies and does informative trainings for all of the staff, line managers, the leadership about what is menopause and what's the impact of menopause and what should you understand about it, as well as being able to provide training for the women themselves. With the goal being that a woman no longer has to feel uh, embarrassed or has to hide the fact that she maybe needs some one-off individual accommodation, like maybe some flexibility in her schedule, or maybe she's having a particularly difficult day and may need to leave the office. Uh, that particular day, or maybe she's having uh, a lot of uh, hot flashes at night, which are night sweats, and isn't getting any sleep, and so she's plagued by fatigue, and maybe she wants to work from home or come in late for a short period of time. But it, it opens the door so that women don't have to feel that they are being stigmatized for something that is a normal, natural process, just like pregnancy is, that companies have finally begun to accept and appreciate that women get pregnant. 
And, and so now we're beginning to appreciate that women go through menopause and it doesn't make them incapable of doing their jobs by any stretch of the imagination, but that they may need some particular moments of support during that particular time. It's almost as if, um, and I think this is changing, and as I, I agree with you, I certainly hope it does uh, over time, and I think it will with younger generations coming up, but it's almost like something you didn't talk about in mixed company. Oh, gosh. And it was almost absolutely. just a, a, a woman's issue, and, and, yes. and you just didn't talk about it. You certainly wouldn't say, I'm in menopause. Right. I mean, that would be... That would be something you absolutely would only say to really close women friends in, in small grouping. And you, and you whisper it. And you whisper it. That's right. 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 I mean, saying even saying the word out loud, you know, could be problematic. And it's because, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, Sarah, it's a woman's issue. And, and isn't it interesting that we have that term and we know what that means in our culture, a woman's issue? What does that equate to? Not an important issue, something that is, is uh, women should discuss it among themselves. Right. It's secretive. It's, it's, and if you, if you think of a, a man's issue or a men's issues, there's no connotation the same way. Right. As there is with, with women's issues. Women's issues are, are, but men's issues are different. I mean, they, they're oh, fascinating. Well, it is fascinating. I mean, one of the things that, that I joke about, uh, because one has to, otherwise you kind of drive yourself crazy, is um, every once in a while I'll watch a football game with my husband. I'm not a football fan. I'm a baseball fan, but I don't really understand football. So I'm not, you know, I'm not so much into it, but I'll be watching the game. And I swear to God, every commercial has something about male uh, erectile dysfunction treatments. And it's like I am waiting for commercials to say something about menopause, all the treatments for menopause that are available for women. And, and you hear it on the radio or on sports talk. I mean, constantly there are commercials for erectile dysfunction treatments for men. Nobody seems to be embarrassed about that. Everybody knows about the little blue pill and everybody talks about it comfortably. But heaven forbid we should talk about menopause and the impact that it has. OK, everybody's on alert that we're going to watch for the first commercial about things that help menopause. We're going to see what year that happens in. I am going to pay attention because I oftentimes have driving places. And when I'm driving, you're right. There are ongoing commercials for erectile dysfunction uh, geared both to men and to women. And yes. so I am going to wait to hear for the first menopause commercial. I love it. I can't wait. Me either. So, Barbara, for yourself, do you experience getting older? And if so, how? And if not, why do you think you don't? Interesting when you ask that question. I have not experienced aging. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. It just I'm shocked when I think, oh, my God, I just turned 70. I don't even know what that is supposed to feel like. 
I mean, I saw my, you know, my mother turn 70. I saw my grandmother turn 70. They seem to age differently than women seem to age these days. Um, I think I'm genetically lucky in that, you know, I'm relatively healthy at my age. I'm not, you know, plagued by a lot of uh, health issues that might um, remind me of my age. And, and my mind is still sharp, but I'm still actively involved in things. Life is interesting and exciting. Um, and, I, and I hang out with a lot of women of all ages who are active participants in their lives. So I, I just, I don't know, I, I will say to myself, you know, I'll, I'll remark to somebody, oh my God, I just turned 70. How the heck did that happen? I don't even know what that means, 70. Um, so, I don't. I don't feel getting older. And I feel lucky in that regard. I recommend it. <laughs> well, it's certainly better than the alternative. I exactly. Mean, really. Yes. Um, it's interesting because I have asked lots and lots and lots of women um, over the years about uh, if they experience getting older. And a lot of the time, I bet, I, I won't, I don't know, I haven't counted it, but I'll say 95 at least percent of the time. They will say, well, I experienced some things physically, but other than that, no, I feel I feel more me than I ever have. I feel yes. I feel much younger. That's my chronological age is not the age I feel that I am. I feel ready to go and creative. And so it's fascinating to me. What's fascinating to me is the way we are depicted in the media as compared with when you ask older women how they experience getting older. Yes. Because, and some women do. I know that I'm not speaking for every older woman on the face of the earth, woman on the face of the earth, but, but what do you hear from your colleagues and your friends, um, your older colleagues and friends about their experiences of living in the world as an older woman? A lot of marginalization. Um, because I deal with professional women, there's a lot of discussion around gendered ageism. Um, it, it's, I'll get together also with some friends uh, around my age. If I'm, I'm hanging out with, you know, contemporaries opposed to, uh, you know, a broader range of, of age women. Um, we will find ourselves every once in a while talking about, you know, the arthritis in the knees or, uh, you know, various other things that do happen with the body during age. And, and, and I always laugh about it. I'm like, oh my God, aren't we being the stereotypical older women where we're now talking with each other about, you know, whatever aches and pains we're feeling, um, which then causes us all to laugh about it. And then the conversation drifts on to something else because we realize, oh, that's really, we don't want that to be the focus of our conversation. Um, but the other part of it is, yes, uh, gendered ageism, and and it's it's rampant in in the workforce, and and it's it's uh, I, I because I think midlife or positive aging is having a moment that a moment that I hope you know transforms our cultural experience of aging, um, but women are punished for getting older. Uh, women are sidelined. Women are marginalized uh, as they mature. Uh, in contrast to really being appreciated as the incredible resource that older women are because of experience, institutional knowledge, and also women who are 
frankly, post-menopause, uh, their minds are clear. They're not worried about, you know, having their monthly cycle, their past reproduction. Most women, by the time they're postmenopausal, their children are older, so there's a lot less childcare issues. Women are are amazing uh, postmenopause, and so uh, I think we need to really embrace ourselves as we get into that time of our lives and recognize what an asset we are to culture. I absolutely positively agree with you. I mean, I would, and I do. And what can we do to help bring about that change? I mean, it seems to me as we get older, we get better. Yes. And it's absolutely not the way we're portrayed. It's not the way we're seen. It's not the way we're treated. What can we do? I think some of the things that are happening now, Sarah, the work that you do, just doing this podcast, for example, uh, the Prime Spark work that you do, the work that I do with, with women in the workplace and, and in their lives, really amplifying the uh, how women do experience themselves and the contributions they make to culture. And of course, there are people out there right now, Ashton. Applewhite, Louise Aronson, um, her doing wonderful work in terms of positive aging. It's, it's, a, it's a movement um, that has really gathered um, attention and, and, and influence. And I'm hoping that that helps to create change. And I think women learning from uh, information that you're putting out, information that is happening in the positive aging movement, that women begin to appreciate themselves that sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. You know, we, we have internalized ageism. And, and that as we as women learn to embrace ourselves as vibrant and healthy and, and even more available to the world when we're past our reproductive years, not that the reproductive years are, are you know, anything that women should feel badly about by any stretch. I don't mean to imply that. But when we're post-reproductive, we're available to do other things in our lives. And, and so I think really being able to model positive aging and being able to educate women about positive aging, I think will help us to turn a corner. But I think it, we need to really be vocal about it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that one of uh, two things occur to me. One is um, we need to not put up with the jokey things about old women. That's I mean, we don't put up with that stuff now with race or right. or our, most of the time, I hope, with sexism. But but we still put up with some of that, quote, jokey stuff about old women. And we need to call people on that. And we yes. need to stop ourselves. We need to listen yes. to what we're saying. Um, the other thing that occurred to me while you were speaking, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they said to me, I don't think, I think that ageism is an ism whose time hasn't quite come yet. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. It is yes. on the horizon. It is more and more being talked about and it will continue to be as this huge bunch of baby boomers continue to get older. It will be more and more talked about. But I thought that was really interesting that focus on ageism is sort of on the horizon, but it's on its way. So I thought that was interesting to, to see it that way. It is. It is interesting. And, and, and I'm really glad you brought that up because 
Um, I, I attend a lot of panels. I attend a lot of, you know, discussion groups and, um, two things come to mind. One is I, I go to a lot of panels about diversity and inclusion. And part of it is I'm interested in it. It's, it's the area that, that I'm, I'm in, in terms of supporting women in the workplace as a minority, even though they're not a minority um, in the workplace. And uh, I bring up ageism. And very often the panel will look at me like, huh? really? As I said, <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about gendered ageism as a diversity and inclusion and belonging issue because gendered ageism is is accepted still in the workplace and, and we need to change that. And then another thing happened that actually I have to say I'm kind of proud of um, is I'd gone to hear the, at the time the new CEO of Catalyst um, speaking and, and she was uh, being interviewed by someone. And at the end of the interview, I raised my hand and said, I, I was looking at the Catalyst website and I've always appreciated the work that Catalyst has done. And I was looking for some of the work that you've done uh, on ageism. And, and I said, I couldn't really find anything. I wonder if you could like, you know, maybe tell me about some of the work that you've done. And the poor woman, I tell you, I didn't mean to put her on the spot, but she kind of blanched a little bit. She said, well, we haven't really done anything on ageism. And uh, later, studies started to come out from Catalyst about ageism. But it was, it, it was she looked at me as almost if it had, hadn't occurred to them to study ageism. And um, so I, I, I pride myself in taking a little bit of personal responsibility for lighting a fire under, under Catalyst about that. I may not be the catalyst of catalysts, but <laughs> I think it was an important conversation. Good for you, Barbara. I mean, that's really interesting because as I have known Catalyst over the years, so much of it had to do with um, equity in the workplace. And, yes. And I mean, all you have, there's a lot more you can look at, but all you have to do is look at the number of people who were laid off as a result of the pandemic. And it affected a lot of people. Yes. And disproportionately older women. Very much so. And so I would have thought, anyway, maybe that's too recent for the for the panel that you were listening to. Um, but good. Good for you. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to stand yeah. up and ask questions like that because that's what we need to do. And I think, you know, to your point about um, catching people when they say ageist things, being able to feel really comfortable calling it out, you know, the way we call out someone who makes a racist comment um, and doing it in a way that engenders, you know, some positive conversation, but being able to remind other people and ourselves when we do comment about um, ages, like common terminology, having a senior moment. We need to stop using that. Absolutely. And, and um, yes. And so any kind of, of references like that need to be eliminated from our conversations. Yes. We may sometimes say something about an adolescent moment, but we don't mean they forgot something. Right. Exactly. Right. Yes. Usually it's something like they go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that would be fun to have a exactly. moment when you're acting out. Yes. <laughs> I was in the drugstore the other day looking at birthday cards because I tend to buy a bunch of them at the same time rather than have to go every time to get a card. 
And again, I was astounded at the number of ageist birthday cards. It's hard to find a card that is appropriate for an older person that is not ageist. I mean, you know, I don't, I was looking for something. I wasn't looking for something with with everybody on skateboards. I mean, but I didn't want everybody in walkers either. And so it's, um, it really is interesting once you get tuned to it, what, what, what is out there that we need to start calling. It is. So, so here's another uh, revenue stream for you. Prime Spark, a line of Prime Spark birthday cards. I love it. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's what we're going to do. We're just starting. We're just starting (laughs) our Prime Spark membership community. We're just starting it. And that's going to be a project. I love it. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Barbara, of all the things you've done in your life, what are three things that you're most proud of? Well, I would say one is is the years that I have been an executive coach. Um, It it is it's such fulfilling work. And and I I was really um, excited when I was at the moment in my personal and professional development to be able to say that I was going to work exclusively with women in midlife, because at that moment, I was able to truly embrace my passion, something, again, I had been passionate about from my early 20s onward. And so when I reached an age where I had enough street cred to exclusively work with women in midlife, as opposed to women of all ages and at all stages of their career, it was it was a very celebratory moment. And I was very proud that I, I just kind of embraced that for myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, getting my doctoral degree. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And uh, I put myself through school, uh, all levels of my education, and I just stormed right through and got my doctorate, um, which was something that um, I don't know, I didn't think a whole lot about at the time, because I was just kind of, it was like what I was doing. I just did it. And, and it felt you know, comfortable to do. But when I look back on it, and I look at it in the context of my family, it was like, whoa, you know? You look what you did. That's pretty amazing. Um, and what it did was uh, it laid um, a path forward for my younger siblings, for them to be able to pursue education in the ways that they wanted to. Um, the other thing that I'm I'm proud of is the fact that I've pursued photography um, in my life. I. I'm good with a camera. I I enjoy it. And it's something that uh, when I quote unquote retire or work a little bit less, I'm not sure that retirement is ever going to be in the cards. I cannot see. (laughs) I know. Isn't that the truth? Um, I want to be able to get back in and do more photography. When I was a little girl uh, and then actually throughout my entire life, I was never seen without some kind of a camera. And when I was when I was really young, I had a camera that was like a little toy camera, but it had film in it and it took pictures. Um, and so I'm I'm proud of the fact that I kept that up, that I pursued it. I never knew that about you. That's really funny. Yes. <laughs> so what dreams do you have that you haven't yet realized? 
it has to do with photography, Sarah, now that I'm bringing that up. I would like to have a photography show or two at some point in my life. I would like to be able to share the work that I do in photography and um, and just be seen uh, for the work that I do in photography. And, you know, I have no particular aspirations to become, you know, sort of a, uh, a well-known photographic artist, although I wouldn't reject that. Um, but I, I would just like to be able to feel myself put my work out there in that context. I would enjoy that. I would love to see you do that. I would love to see those pictures. That would be wonderful. Thank you. So, Barbara, if somebody would like to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, I have a website, and that is a atimeofmyown.com. And I can be reached via email at barbara at a time of my own.com. Thank you so much. That's, that's our time today. And I have so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sarah. It is, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for agreeing to be. So that's our time today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you again so much to my guest, Dr. Barbara Mark. And don't forget, you can find her at atimeofmyown.com. Thank you for being with us. Take care, spread tolerance and love. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details.
calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.